The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning. I want to welcome everyone in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, for your word, we are always grateful. And so we pray for ears to hear and for hearts to follow. And God, I pray for the gift of proclamation. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I was here the first Sunday that we gathered, but I've been gone the past three weeks. So my question to you is, have you guys found your seats yet? Because I walked in this morning and I was totally confused. My family and I, we were gone for about two and a half weeks, and I want to thank Brett and Jim Dvorak uh, for preaching over the past three weeks. We were gone the past three weeks. Kim's family lives up in Vancouver, Washington, the Portland, Oregon uh, area. We were gone three Sundays, but we're gone a little over two weeks. And during our, my time there, I was truly amazed by something. And it has been a while since I've been truly amazed, like jaw-dropping, truly amazed. And it had nothing to do with the scenery. We saw beautiful things. The Pacific Northwest, if you've never been there, go. We saw Mount Hood. We saw the Cascade Mountains. We visited Bend in Central Oregon, and we, uh, we floated down the Deschutes River. We went up to the San Juan Islands, which is up in the Puget Sound. Gorgeous, but that's... Not one truly amazed me. It was right after we landed, Saturday afternoon, and my in-laws, my mother-in-law, and her husband came and picked us up and took us to one of our favorite restaurants, which is right on the Columbia River, which separates Oregon and Washington. The restaurant is called Hoosong and Larry's. Don't ask me why it's called Hoosong and Larry's, but it's a Mexican restaurant in Vancouver, Washington. But it wasn't the food that amazed me. Because while we were sitting there overlooking the river with the I-5 bridge and people out fishing and boats going up and down the river, while we were waiting on our food and waiting to, for, the, for them to bring our drinks and things like that, they had a guy that was going around at each table who was a magician. I've never really experienced this at a restaurant. He came and introduced himself. He was very friendly. And so he said, can I do some magic tricks for you? We were like, sure. He started doing things that wowed our kids and myself. But then he got to this point where he he was asking for our kids to volunteer, but then he asked for me to volunteer. And he said, pick any card. He had a deck of cards. And so I picked the card, and he gave me a Sharpie. And he said... I want you to write your name on this card. This is actually the card he gave me. And so I gave him the card. He showed everybody. And he looked at my kids, says, is this your dad? And they were like, we think so. We think that's his name. And he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fold it up. Okay? Hold on to it. And then he pulled out a matchbox. And 
I don't even know where to get Matchbox these days. I would have brought one, but I didn't have time to go find one. But he brought up a Matchbox, and the Matchbox was empty. And so he showed us the Matchbox, and it was empty. No matches inside. And he goes, see, this Matchbox is empty. And then he asked Bella to hold, put the Matchbox on the table. And he asked Bella to put her hand over the Matchbox. And with the card in this hand, he said, okay, I'm going to count to three. And I'm going to, one, two, three, and then I, this card is going to pass through your hand and end up in the matchbox. Now, remember, I have written my name on this card. He has no idea before he comes to the table what my name is or how I might write my name on this card. So, Bella puts her hand over the matchbox, and that guy says, one, two, three. I didn't even do a good job. You probably saw me drop it, right? <laughs> and there was no card in his hand. And he said, Bella, open that matchbox. Bella opens up the matchbox and out. And he says, is this your card? And the look on Bella's face <laughs> was exactly this. The look on my face was exactly this. And Bella immediately turned to Kim and says, Mom, give that man money. <laughs> to which the magician said, she's my favorite. <laughs> and not only did she give that man money, she literally got up and went around and started digging through Kim's purse to get money, and I was like, whoa, 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 let's don't, I don't know how much money's in there, and Kim's like, no, we got to give him money, that was amazing. <laughs> it's been a while since I was truly amazed. In that moment, I don't know how that guy did it, I don't know the, whether he put it in his pocket, I don't know how he did it, I was amazed. The beginning of the Gospel of Luke is a story of Mary who is truly amazed. The story that Bev just read for us, it says the angel Gabriel visited Mary. And she was a virgin, pledged to be married to Joseph. And he shows up, which would be truly amazing in itself, that he shows up and he says, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary, she can't be any more than like 16 years old. We don't know exactly how old she is, but she's a teenager, and we can't, she can't be any, much more than 16 years old. And so she's got to be thinking, who, me? And because she's greatly troubled by the words she says, she's probably just greatly troubled just because the angel showed up, period. And Gabriel, the angel, says this, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. 
He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary's response is first fear, and she's perplexed. But then after Gabriel the angel makes this announcement of good news to her, she responds with a question. She says, how can this be? Almost to the same extent, how did you get that card into that matchbox? But this is a little different. Because she says, you know, I may be young and naive, but I know how this thing works. And I'm not married yet. And I haven't been with a man. She says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. But what's interesting is that this is not the first time this question has come up in this opening narrative of Luke's gospel. Bev referred to this, if you go back to the story about Zechariah and Elizabeth. So if you go back just to verse 5 and read along with me, verse 5 through 20 says this, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as priest before God in his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer the incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified. Familiar response? And fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will give him the name John. And you'll have, have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or any strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to, to the Lord their God. And with the spirit and the power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for sure? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. And then the angel replied, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, 
until the day these things occur. Zechariah is a priest. His wife is the descendant of Aaron, the family of priests. They are blameless and righteous. They are obedient to the law. But they have a problem. Elizabeth is barren. And Zechariah is on duty. And he's selected to go into the temple and burn incense. Now, most likely, this is Zechariah's first time to go and serve burning incense. Because as the Mishnah, which is uh, a book that records the traditions from the very early rabbis that's written sometime in the late 2nd century, they actually lay out how all this works. So if Luke is correct, and he's following what the, the Mishnah says, then it says that the priests that don't ever get to serve, they decide by casting lots. And it says that he got to go in because his lot came up. So this is most likely his first time, and Zechariah, as a priest, has probably been waiting for this moment to serve as long as he's been waiting for a child. He's been waiting a long time. And so he enters into the holy place, which is just right outside the Holy of Holies, where you offer the incense. And it's the custom that not only the one who's going to offer the incense, but three priests go before. One, to clear off the ashes from the day before. Two, to make sure that the lamp is lit and, uh, lit and has enough oil. And three, to make sure the coals are ready to receive the incense. And then as the custom, this is the practice, those three, once they've prepared, they're to leave the room and leave Zechariah all by himself to do his work. Except when Zechariah is left all by himself, he's not all by himself. Right by the altar of incense, the angel appears. And Zechariah has the same response as Mary. He's terrified. And the angel appears, and he says, don't be afraid. And he proclaims the good news about what's going to happen. And by the way, this is not only just good news for parents who don't have to be parents, this is actually bigger and broader. It's not only, hey, you guys are going to have a child. Here's why this guy, here's why this child's going to be great. He's not just good news for you, but he's going to call God's people back. This is good news beyond you. And then Zechariah asked this question. How will I know that this is so? I mean, of all people that should be able to believe this, right? It's the priest. It's the preacher for crying out loud. But like Abraham before him, he needs a sign. How will I know this is so? For I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in years. In other words, she's barren. And this question 
comes up again with Mary in a different way. Zechariah says, how will I know this is so? And Mary says, how can this be? It's a question of not just being entertained like I was with the magician. It's a real deep life question. How will I know this? How can this be? These are questions that simply being human that get asked. Because you're human, you're going to ask those questions when you're truly amazed. And it's the angel's response the angel's response to Mary. He says this. The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, and he'll be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who's been able to conceive, is in her sixth month. And then here's the answer to Zechariah and to Mary. He says, for nothing is impossible with God. The question of the entire book of Luke is how will I know this is so and how can this be? And God's unequivocal response to Zechariah and to Mary and to you and to I is this. Nothing is impossible with God. If you don't hear anything else today, hear Luke's good news to you. Nothing is impossible with God. But here's what that doesn't mean. The notion that nothing is impossible with God isn't the same notion that you see written on the shoes of athletes or across their eye makeup. What is that stuff called, right? Philippians 4.13. In other words, Don't hear this today and on the eve of football season says, yes, maybe the Cowboys will win the Super Bowl. No, I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. God has nothing to do with that. This is not, for nothing is impossible with God so you can reach some self-actualization. Or it ends up being some self-help. That's not what he's talking about here. That is not Luke's message. But here's what it does mean. When you hear Luke, the angel, say through Luke's gospel, for there's nothing impossible with God, here's what Luke means by that. First of all, this is an affirmation of outsiders. It's a world affirmation. Luke, more than any other gospel, John, while it kind of rejects the world, Luke, more than any other gospel, affirms the world. 
We didn't read this, but in Luke 1.25, Elizabeth's response, once she hears that she's pregnant, this is her response. This is what the Lord has done for me. When he looked favorably on me and took away my disgrace, I have endured among my people. Do you hear that language? Even though Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous people, they were disgraced. They were outcasts. Particularly Elizabeth. She was outcast and she was shamed because in a first century context, to be barren equaled God's punishment. We don't know what you did, Elizabeth, but you must have done something really wrong. Your body doesn't work right, and that's God's judgment on you. It also means the unclean. In Luke's gospel, you're going to hear about the lame, the blind, the leper. You're going to hear about Gentiles who are outsiders. You're going to hear even about those dirty Samaritans. He affirms the outsider who's unqualified. What's interesting in the gospel of Matthew is that in Matthew's account, after Jesus is born, it's the Magi, these royal people that come and offer gifts. Do you know who come and, comes and visits Jesus in the Gospel of Luke? It's not the Magi. It's not royal people. It's shepherds. This is not a high position. They're outside with sheep and they probably don't smell that great. He affirms outsiders like pagans and those that God's people would consider their enemies. Because you're going to hear in the Gospel of Luke about tax collectors and sinners. This is who Jesus affirms. And here's what the Spirit-powered Gospel affirms in Luke. That God's Spirit works to bring about what is not possible even when the people whom God is working through don't agree with it or don't even know God is working through them. That actually God may actually work through somebody that doesn't believe nor does not even know what's going on. Here's the second thing. For nothing impossible, nothing is impossible, God. Here's the th second thing. Is that in Luke's gospel, this spirit-powered gospel, there is this great reversal that happens. There is this theme of great reversal. So after Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, and John jumps in the womb when Mary shows up, you have this amazing song which we actually sing parts of it beginning in verse 46 my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant he has shown strength with his arm he has scattered the proud in their thoughts and in their hearts he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly he has filled the hungry with good things 
and sent the rich away empty. Do you see great reversals? The whole song is full of it. In fact, there's a great reversal that actually happens in the story about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest, and after he goes in, after he goes in to offer the incense, what we also know from the mission is that he's supposed to come out and offer a blessing to all those people who are worshiping. But what happens to him? He asks the question, how will I know this is so? And the angel said, well, I stand in the presence of God. And because you don't believe me, you're not going to be able to speak until all this happens. So the one who is commissioned by God to speak and has the power and authority, the one who is able to speak, walks out and can't perform his function. While Elizabeth, who's barren and can't perform her function as a mother and to conceive, now conceives. Do you see a great reversal that just happened there? And the two questions are, how will I know this is so? And so in our day, this is the question you should ask, or the thing you should think about. Imagine the person that God is least likely to favor. Who for you is the person God is least likely to favor? And that's Zechariah's question. How can I know this is so? And then remember, nothing is impossible with God. And then with Mary, who asked the question, how can this be so? Think about a situation or circumstance in which you would imagine it wouldn't be possible that change would happen. It'd be the last place, circumstance, or experience, or situation you would think where change is possible. And you ask the question, how can this be? And the answer is, for nothing is impossible with God. For the third thing that the Spirit-empowered gospel of Luke is about salvation, maybe more than any other gospel. And the way that Jesus talks about salvation and those that are in need are those who are lost and those who are sick. For I've come to seek and save the lost. For it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. These are Jesus' words in the Gospel of Luke. And so the Spirit-powered Gospel of Luke proclaims a salvation that is for all people. But Luke acknowledges and emphasizes God's heart for the weak, the poor, the oppressed, those considered shameful in society. God's salvation is not seen as a cure for just the spiritually sick, although it is that, but it is for those who are sick and lost physically, emotionally, socially, economically. Luke sees salvation first and foremost is given to those who recognize their deep need and their powerlessness. A need that they cannot fulfill on their own. 
This is why Luke starts with stories about Elizabeth and Mary. Women who do not hold a high place in society. One who is barren and has no power over that. And one who's not even married. So she doesn't even have her proper place in society. That's why he begins with them. Because nothing is impossible with God. It's been a while since I was truly amazed. And I wonder, as we follow Luke over the next several months, as we explore the Spirit-powered gospel, I just wonder that we might encounter the Spirit-powered gospel and discover that truly nothing is impossible with God. Let's stand and sing.